and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guests this week are Mark Gain and Martha Johnson, better known as Martha and the Muffins. Their breakout song Echo Beach off their debut album Metro Music was all the rage back in 1980. It was an international hit. It won the Juno Award for Single of the Year. That's the Canadian Grammys. Everywhere but the States. It didn't even register in the States. We talk about the cause of that. Their biggest hit in the States was on the dance charts, Black Stations, White Stations. Fantastic song. We talk about the controversy about that song. Their latest album is a collection of tracks throughout their career, Marthology. We talk about that album. And they're having a new album coming out this year. We talk about what they've been doing over the past couple decades. I'm a big fan of this band. I discovered them when I was in college. About 14 years after the debut of Echo Beach, Mark and Martha, very nice. I enjoyed my conversation with them, and I hope you do as well. So, Martha, Martha, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hi, Noel. Good to be with you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So I discovered you guys. I went to school up in Buffalo in the mid nineties. You know, I'm from in the States, you know, lower New York. And, um, fortunately never heard of, you know, any of your music up until then. And, you know, Echo Beach, you know, played on the radio, got it from, I think the river came, you know, bled down into, um, Buffalo. And I love the song and was immediately hooked. And I tried to find as much music as I could of you guys. And, um, I always say the one thing I learned or I got out of going to school in Buffalo was the beer, the wings, and the good Canadian music. So, yeah. 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 So I was going to start, you know, from the beginning. Uh, How did you guys, like, first meet? Well, uh, when I was going to art college at the Ontario College of Art, uh, I had a uh, fellow student and we were both uh, working in what was called the sound lab and he invited me to join a band which uh, I agreed to do and over that uh, the spring of 77 he knew Martha because he would played in bands with Martha local bands uh, and so he in- he got her into the band and that's how we first met essentially so it's he, been a while he wanted to really put a band together and he, you were the first person he asked yeah, and then he asked me. Yeah, Mark, were you? Were you yeah, three we, of us got together once. Yeah, we did a. There was an early sort of rehearsal at his his uh, the apartment that he was renting, um, and that was the three of us, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, other people joined over that summer, which comprised the early lineup of the band. Right. So when you were in art college, you were just playing for yourself. Obviously you weren't playing shows or anything. So you were just keeping active playing. So they, they knew to come to you. Uh, no, it wasn't so much. Well, I mean, it was the atmosphere of the time because this was going on in art colleges and you know, universities and urban centers all around the world and right. particularly, you know, New York and London primarily, but then all the other towns, I mean, were, were getting their own little scenes. But I was more in experimental music at that okay. time. I was doing, you know, long uh, tape pieces and uh, improvised music with other people. So, you know, when we were asked to start this band, it was like, well, we all grew up, certainly our age anyway, was seeing the Beatles on Ed right. Sullivan and going, hey, yeah, band, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> without, really, without really thinking about it. 
Um, right. And, you know, so that's when I got more into, you know, normal or normal kind of uh, musical styles and stuff. Um, pop music. Yeah. Pop music, right. yeah. yeah. I, I interviewed Dennis DeYoung you know, from Styx uh, a couple of years ago, and he told me the biggest job creator in the arts were the Beatles because it influenced so many people to start bands and get into music. <laughs> That's quite a perceptive uh, view of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because it was like the Ed Sullivan show. That that was the, the, the moment that so many people just like, you know, were introduced to them and just, you know, so this is what I want to do for a living, or at least I want to play music now. And then sure enough, it continued. Yeah, and at the time, you know, that, that was the only show you watched on Sunday night. You know, there weren't, right. it wasn't like you had 5,000 other choices. Uh, so everybody was watching. And after you saw that show, you wanted to get Beetle Boots. Yeah. And a cap like John Lennon. and Right, the haircuts, yeah. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, whole, the whole look. Right. So how, how long after you guys performed did you start, like, writing music for the first album? Uh, I mean, so it all happened at the same time. Yeah, I guess it happened all the same. I mean, in the early days, well, we were writing our own songs right off the top. But when we were doing the early gigs, we didn't have enough of our own stuff. So we would do cover songs. I'm not sure if that's what your question is. But, but oh, no, you know, we yeah. Did, yeah, we did fill in like we did. What did we do in the early days that were covered? My world is empty without you. Only we changed the you to Chuck. Oh, it's from you, babe, to Chuck, because we didn't want to say babe, but that's right. right. <laughs> so we did that Supremes number. We did Day Tripper by the Beatles. We did uh, addition Motorbiking Motor by Chris Spedding. We did Editions of You by Roxy Music. Telstar. We did Telstar. Uh, and that kind of filled out, you know, enough yeah. time that we could do a decent set with that stuff, plus our own songs. Right. So like the early days, was there a band you were trying to like emulate their style? I mean, you mentioned Roxy, Roxy Music, and I know they were, they were big at that point, but. Yeah, if any band we were trying to emulate, it would be them. Well, certainly at least three members of the band were huge Roxy Music fans. Right. And, you know, early on, we got the chance to buy a Wurlitzer electric piano, and I think the main reason for buying it is because Roxy Music had one. But we, I mean, I always liked the sound of a Whirly anyway. Yeah. It's a great sound. But he was, you know, Brian Ferry was into the eighth note, like fifths, ding, 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 mm -hmm. ding, you know, and we really liked that. So um, that was a major influence. But the, the early band had a very, very wide range. Andy Hawes, our original sax player, was you know, more out of the improv and free jazz world. Uh, and he was going to OCA, uh, the Ontario College of Art as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, Carl, the bass player was more, so, I suppose, like- Like organ music. <laughs> you know, like organ music. <laughs> and, but, but we were, you know, apart from the Beatles too, it was like the Mot, like everything from Motown. the 60s, like Motown you know, James Brown, like the whole thing was, it's such an amazing decade for, for right. what was coming out of it. Yeah. And it's good that everyone has, you know, different likes and backgrounds because it makes you guys well-rounded and kind of a, a little bit of peace here and there in, in each song. Yeah. And I get, yeah, it gave the band um, an eclecticism that maybe other bands didn't necessarily have to that degree. And 
determined, determined our sound, I think. It did, yeah. Because everybody yeah. was coming from a different place. Right. We it all together and respected each other's um, <clears throat> opinions and tastes. Yeah. So I just want to get to, obviously, Echo Beach real quick. And were you surprised that the first song off your first album, that's the one that blew up? You get a Juno Award, a Canadian Grammys, people that don't know. Where can you go from there? think of in a sense uh the song you know did has done really great things for us and as the writer and martha's a singer 
you know, were, we were, well, first of all, to answer your question, we were blown away because nobody expected it. I mean, there were, there were indications early on that people really liked that song. And I've, I've told this story before, but we have a recording of us playing at this little club called the Beverly Tavern, which was sort of right very close to the art college. And it was sort of the watering hole of all the art students and all the cool bands played there. Right. But we have a recording of it. And I think we're doing an encore because I think it's the end of the night and they want to hear Echo Beach again. So, hmm. and this is, you know, probably I think 1978. So this is two wow. years before the song was even you know, right. uh, put yeah. out. But yeah. so I have broken a string. <laughs> so I'm desperately trying to get, you know, cause I only had one guitar then no yeah. roadies or anything. So you're doing right. it all yourself. So I'm desperately trying to tune this guitar. So you hear me going down, 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 and people going, Echo Beach, Echo Beach. And, and so at some point, I guess I just gave up trying to getting it, getting it into tune and just launch into the riff, which is horrendously out of tune. <laughs> and everybody loved it anyway. You know, they're we, yeah, they're all drunk anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. We just sailed off into the yeah. into the distance. But you know, that I, I don't think we could have anticipated the degree that that song would be popular because we had no aspirations about signing with a record company you know we just right. thought this whole thing was going to last for a couple of years right a couple of years i'm going right. to get real jobs and get on with it it's amazing what a, one song can do to your life though you know it, without, without that song you know mark and i wouldn't be together i'm sure of it and we wouldn't have made all those other albums and you know who knows what our lives would have been like yeah I mean, you mentioned it's a blessing. Is it also a curse, though? Because yeah, that was the you know the big song, and it's kind of hard to duplicate that one right off the bat. And you know, we didn't and, and we didn't want to duplicate it. Like we right. had a lot of pressure from Virgin Dindisc, which was our label at the time, to like you know when the second album was coming along, they and we were recording at the Manor Studios and just outside of Oxford in England. They drive up every weekend, like Richard Branson and Carol Wilson, right? They'd all be going, well, we don't hear another Echo Beach. And I went, you know, you're probably not going to because we're moving on to other things. But to have a song that huge at first, kind of um, the audience expectations are that for the people that like that song, they wanted more of that. And, and I think for us, you have to go with your... Uh, in directions that an artist wants to go in not necessarily a pop star right and if we can if we think of all the bands that we like most of them perhaps and you might not agree with this which is okay but i, I have the feeling that they keep doing the same thing maybe they do varieties of it but they don't stray too far off what made them initially popular right um the beatles are a huge exception to that but but most fans, I think, you know, in pop music are like that. And we didn't do that. Like we, by our third album, we were, which was, this is the Ice Age. We were right. like way out there. Yeah. And um, people, you know, critics, when that album came out, they half of them said they've just blown their career out of the water. And the other half said, this is the best thing they've ever done. So who knows, you know, you just yeah. got to follow, right. you got to follow your, your inclinations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, you know, the song, we're, we're really happy with how big that song, and it's basically, yeah. you know, we never got rich, but it, it meant that we could keep doing what we wanted to do.
Right. You know, the film was successful enough that it mm-hmm. brought in money. Uh, you know, we weren't driving around in, in Land Rovers, nor right. would we probably, but, <laughs> but, you know, we could, we could actually yeah. make music making a living for the most part, uh, right. which is astounding. Even now, like 40 yeah. years in, we're still astounded by that. Well, right. Echo, Echo Beach is still paying the bills. Really. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Was it an easy song to write? And then Martha, when you got this, the lyrics, did you like it at first? Well, the funny thing is that it's about about being an office clerk, which I was, but Mark wrote the song. Right. He wrote the lyrics, so he, he was, he, he was uh, I could relate to it because I had I've had that boring job <laughs> that I wanted to get out of, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I don't, I think at the time that we were first, you know, to working in a band in the early days, I'm not sure that I knew you had been an office clerk. Well, well, you used to be, I know when we were rehearsing, you were working at a hospital as a receptionist and you came in your nurse's uniform, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) um, And okay, and was the song easy to write? Well, uh, you know, it's one of the earliest songs I wrote and I I would struggle with some of those early songs over the lyrics more than the music, I think. But I think Echo Beach came fairly easily. We had two solid ideas. You had the idea of working in the factory. Yes. That you needed and to wanting to be somewhere, somewhere else. Somewhere else in, in that evening on the, the shores of Lake Ontario. Looking back looking, at the city. At the city. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I didn't, you know, because of where I'd come out of well, having done improvised music and all that stuff, I, I wasn't that clued into how to write pop song so right. if you probably have noticed the chorus doesn't happen till the very end but I, I that wasn't some that wasn't me trying to be clever or anything <laughs> that's just I went okay you know we have an yeah. A set which you know was a verse and a B and a re-intro mm-hmm. and but the but the the chorus actually just happens at the end you know yeah it does yeah and, and another song uh women around the world at work you, you wrote um so it's like those two songs right there how do you like write for like a female point of view Stop. 
happens because I had, I grew up uh, among very strong women um, and my mother in particular was, you know, she was born in the 20s. So she was uh, uh, married, you know, in the 50s and that generation of women were all expected to go back and be housewives. Like after right. they had been working in factories during the war and flying airplanes and stuff, then all of a sudden, so she was like um, a second wave feminist that couldn't be what she really wanted to be. She loved her children. She was a great mother. She was very strong. She was a writer and a journalist. She wrote a novel that got published. Um, and so I grew up with her fierce fierceness as a person. And I mean that in a good way. She was very a very fierce, strong person. And you know, I had great grandmothers and aunts and stuff. Um, so I learned to, uh, I was aware of women's um, presence and power uh, in a good sense from very early on. Like, I think even when I was really young, I could sense the inherent um, wisdom and power of women. Yeah. And I guess that came out in that song. Well, I also think when that song was written, there were it was a time when women were, were really fighting for their rights, <clears throat> for equal equal yeah. pay, and and you know the ability to work outside of the home and everything. I think it was a, a peak kind of at that time. Although, what you know, in terms of things that are going on in the world right now, it's like have we progressed at all that way? I mean, we oh, have, I think so. but yeah, it's, it's like one step forward and two back, back. You know? yeah. but so maybe the song you know still has relevance that way um so it was a great song to sing because right you've, you're rallying a, a, a group of people together and uh you know making a, a statement that was very important for the times and i i have to add on top of that you know if i I don't consider myself a particularly great guitarist. I, I find I, I, I'm self-taught, but I have right. to say that I think that was one of the best guitar solos yeah. I had. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm still really happy with that one. And yeah. I, I, I find it hard to replicate it. Well, the sax, the sax playing and interplaying with the guitar is really good too. That was a Roxy music trick. <laughs> like, like where the sax does uh no what happens in that song it's does a call and response thing right but does it when there's a there's a sax section and then he ends and then i come in over top yeah. and i i don't know whether there was a roxy music song i thought where well, that's something similar and i thought oh that's really cool where one ends and the other right. thing takes over we had to count in the middle too remember yes we did because <laughs> we'd count one two three because it's an odd it's an odd one, section three, there four. yeah yeah we're all counting in our heads <laughs> i think it's three chords over four. Over four. Something like that. And it's amazing when, because we've worked with musicians that are actually way better than we are, and that always stumps them. You're going, right. okay, well, like if you think of the chords, it's like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, like that over four, and it stumps right. them, right? Because um, sometimes we think in patterns. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're big on patterns, but right. that doesn't necessarily translate when you're trying to yeah because musicians if they're trained too they're trained to yeah. right right <laughs> and yeah um like swimming uh that's one of the like the lead vocals that, that you do and i which I absolutely love that song how, how do you like determine what songs you're going to sing lead on
kind of like Ringo like once in a yeah. while I get, to, I get yeah. to sing a song but that song came out of a jam yeah and then Mark took it took it home and uh, came back the next day with the lyrics all all written and he and he and Dan, Dan Lanois uh, yeah. were uh, got together and recorded the, the vocal and the, we all love the vocal I think yeah I think I somehow got there ahead got of the everybody early. else and mm -hmm. we we did the vocal and then yeah. everybody came in and they really liked mm -hmm. it so yeah. Um, and the girls sang the backing vocals. Right. Yeah. Martha and Jocelyn. We were afraid you to call it love. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned Dan, who, you know, one of the best producers out there. He went on to produce, you know, Peter Gabriel and U2, and now he's doing his own great solo stuff. Um, was Jocelyn like 
did she bug you guys to say, hey, this is my little brother. Can you uh, have him come in and help you guys out? Or is that just like you wanted or you kind of met him or how did that come about? Well, she didn't bug us about it. She just mentioned it, you know, to okay. go and do our demo at Grand Avenue. And we, were, we weren't expecting much because we, we just we hadn't heard of him and right. you know, or, or the studio. So we were pleasantly surprised when we, we started working with him and uh, saw how wonderful the studio was. He was, you know, he wasn't well known at that time. I mean, he was well known locally, right. I think, for the most part. And when Jocelyn joined the band, as Martha said, you know, she said, well, I have this brother and, you know, and well, two brothers, Dan and Bob, and they had this studio in Hamilton, Ontario. We, yeah, okay. And, you know, we, we, uh, we did have to do a demo for Ice Age. So it, she said, well, why don't we try it there? And, you know, we had no reason to say no. I think right. we were expecting some like little, you know, room in a, in a industrial park or something like that. It was a beautiful uh, three-story house. On a you know pleasant street in you know in a residential area and With all this great equipment and Dan uh, immediately uh, I think we got on really well together because he was unlike a lot of engineers slash producers um, he was totally open to any ideas that we threw at him right. You know, and I, I often mention this case, like there was something on Ice Age that I don't think we actually use this sound, but uh, it might have been for Boy Without Filters or something like one of those slow, sad songs. And I said, I want to capture the emotional feeling of that. And what if we dropped a bunch of cardboard boxes down the stairs and slowed it down two octaves <laughs> so you get this like collapse yeah. feel, this dark feeling of things. And like a lot of people before that in the studio, but like I bring out my Cynthia and I go, oh God, Mark's going to make some fucking weird noise again, <laughs> whatever, you know, but Dan would just like, he'd go, okay, yeah. yeah. And he'd be like setting the mics up already. Right. And, you know, he would do that. And I think the thing was, he didn't come out of um, an art school background, but he was totally open to new things. And of course, around the same time, he started working with Eno. Yeah who was like the ultimate art school, you know, musician to the point of calling himself a non-musician, which sure. I, I think was very provocative, but totally untrue. Um, but, you know, so Dan was absorbing all these influences mm -hmm. and, you know, he was completely open to that. Um, and, you know, we ended up doing three albums with yeah. him and we, we had for the most time uh, a really great experience doing those yeah. Um, yeah yeah so something like the standout songs well, you know cooling the medium which i really in enjoyed and then probably your biggest hit in, in the states was uh black stations white stations which is i guess at the time pretty controversial some radio stations w wouldn't wouldn't play it um what made it so controversial
the time there were black stations and white stations right. in the radio stations in the states that kind of shocked us i think and um it they would only play certain things and and um the song starts out with uh, the lyric um a voice inside my car told, told me today there was a song of love that we would not play that was when i heard a radio announcer saying that um the Van Morrison song, Brown Eyed Girl, was actually Brown Skin Girl. And uh, it, um, they wouldn't play it. They got him to change mm -hmm. it to Brown Skin Girl. Yeah, the label wouldn't let him put it out. So it's just, a, the songs are yeah. just about, about that um, uh, uh, oddity of uh, having like, segregating music. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Well, I think, you it, think uh, of the history of music. Right. Well, and yeah, and of course, and like the influence of black music on popular music is like you know, it's astounding. It doesn't, but music doesn't really have a color. No, music right, exactly. Doesn't have a color. But at the, you know, I think we were also because I don't believe there were black stations or white stations in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so when we were touring down there, this is what we started hearing. And at the time, there was this huge controversy about whether Michael Jackson was going to get airplay on white stations right yeah. and of course thriller just blew that right. like, out of the water yeah. but I, I think black stations white stations was also a product of our naivety you know like we we were a bit clueless like i guess if you were from the states that this was a you knew all about this but to be driving around you know in 1984 hearing about <laughs> considering the influence of the blues and jazz and everything else and funk and right. R&B and there's they're talking about black stations and white uh -huh. and then you heard that that show about Van Morrison yeah. and like it just all came together and I think you know once again people probably thought we were shooting ourselves in the foot because like what radio station was going to play yeah. that right well in yeah. fact it never, never went from the went to number two in the dance charts only to be beaten yeah. by by Prince, uh, when doves cry. Right. <laughs> Poor timing on our part, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but if you're going to get beat by somebody, he's Let the guy Prince. to beat. Exactly. But as Laurie Anderson says, the number two is just not the same as number one. one. Yeah. Um, but um, I think uh, that the reason it didn't go go to um, to the pop, the pop stations, you know, the the. the the, it was only on the dance charts is right. because of the the, um, the the subject matter. Well, yeah, and I, I think we've got some clipping from Billboard around there saying, you know, Black Stations, White Stations, the most talked about mm -hmm. song in the, mm -hmm. the U.S. today, which is probably a bit of an overstatement. But, yeah. you know, it did rile some, like, people are going, are you offending us? Like, are you, you know, are you crapping on the yeah. radio industry? Yeah. We're just going hey look we're just naive canadians and we're shocked that there could even be right. such a division you know yeah. um we heard it on the radio yesterday uh, here in toronto okay. on the cbc so it's right. still being played oh, um, but, and just to talk about that like from a production point of view you know the crazy solo in the middle of it yeah you, you kind of don't even know what it is well that's a good example of how um Martha, Dan, and I would work together because when we, we decided we needed something really resting at that moment. So one of us was playing this keyboard 
while the other was running their hands up and down over the settings. So the settings changed all the time. Right. And then Dan was over at his effects rack with a prime time delay jumping around with it. And, and that would go straight to tape. And we'd, go, we'd listen back and go, yeah, let's try another one. So, and the one you hear was obviously right. the one that we kept, but it was all very spontaneous. And he also said, why don't we get the Brecker brothers in here? Yeah, that's right. It was his idea to get the Brecker brothers okay. on the horn line, which was a brilliant suggestion. And they took their their uh, melody from the bass player, Tinker Barfield. Yeah, that's right. So one thing that always leads to another. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, like MTV also wouldn't play black uh, music videos. I think it was David Bowie who like really made us think about it until I think they, they, Michael Jackson was really the only one at first they were playing. You know, because that had to play Thriller because the, the, yeah. the video was epic, but it was just like it moved on to music videos as well. So, yeah, it seems it seems weird even talking about it now. But, yeah. you know, again, go back to current events and you're going, wow, it's still going on you right. know, in one way or another. You just uh... but yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a subject that we just felt we had to comment on. Right. on. Yeah. Now, some like Canadian artists I interviewed, you know, are massive in your country, but like basically unheard of in the states. You guys, you know, at least made some, you know, a little bit of noise. Why do you think it's so difficult? I mean, we're like neighbors, you know, music bleeds through, but yet it's really hard. Like you can have success in, you know, Europe. You had some with Echo Beach, but in the states, not really. That that should have been a top five song. That's what everybody says. And the great thing about what happened to us early on was he got signed by a British label. So we were like barely, you know, getting our chops together when we were right. popped out of like the Queen Street yeah. West in Toronto and put into a big studios in the UK, recording albums, meeting like all the press, you know, doing press junkets and everything else. And that was the advantage we had that, you know, at the time, I don't think any other uh, Canadian band had, or certainly not like a quote, new wave band. Now the problem was with that first album in Echo Beach, that Virgin had an office in New York at the time. Okay. They released Metro Music and then they ended their, something happened business-wise and they retreated back to the UK and they handed Atlantic Records the Virgin catalog. Mm. Metro Music had, you know, a release right. uh, where nobody did anything. Nobody, nobody, nobody worked it. It's, okay. you know, apparently they put it out. We had a conversation years ago with somebody at Atlantic. He said, oh, we did release it. Yeah, for two weeks. Or yeah, two like weeks. for yeah. a few weeks. And of course, nothing, they didn't do anything with it. And Echo Beach. It was a real shame. Uh, and that was the only mm -hmm. country where... Uh, or the only significant country, I guess, where it didn't have any kind of presence. Like, it, it's, it did really well in the UK. It did really well in several European countries, okay. South Africa, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Uh, Japan. Like, But the States, which was the biggest prize of all, of course, right. being the biggest market. You know, and, and at the end of 1980, you know, when there were music roundups, a number of writers in the States said, you know, this, uh, just what you said, Echo Beach should have been a huge hit here. What happened? And yeah. ask Richard Branson. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Too busy going to space, I guess, now. <laughs> yeah. 
because I, I mean it was criminal that I had to basically wait almost 14 years after release to finally hear the song and that was only because I was up in Buffalo and in a blood down yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 so you guys moved on from Dan to David Lord for, for your next album I'm sure the styles were quite different they were very different and um we were uh, looking for somebody new because at that point, Dan, I think had done the uh, Birdie soundtrack and was working with Peter Gabriel on Soul, right? And uh, he said, you know what, you guys are good enough. You don't need a producer. And we didn't feel that way. I mean, right. we, we have, we, it wasn't like we had any shortage of ideas. It was more like the engineering end of it because we, he was so great at it. And we thought, oh, I don't know. So we went looking for somebody else and we had a whole list and David Lord had done an XTC album. Yeah. Um, and it was the one with the train wheel, I think the great express. But the last, one of the songs on it is called wake up. And that, that song blew mm-hmm. us away. And we thought, okay, this is a guy that we could have some kind of overlapping right. sensibilities with. Which we did, but David Lord had a very, where Dan was very spontaneous. And, you know, sometimes if we were getting something good happening in the studio, he wouldn't bother tweaking too much. He, he wanted to get the moment. Whereas David was like completely opposite. Like if I had a funk guitar part, he'd go, let's break it up into separate notes and then treat them differently. You know, and I'd go, you know, and the art school part of me would go, yeah, that's kind of cool. Right. But it would be like three days yeah. later, you know, and it, 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 you know, sometimes took the whole groove out of it mm-hmm. and everything else. So uh, it was a very different album for us. And it took a long time, like our current and RCA, our, our labels in the in Canada kept filming us up in Bath, England, going, are, mm-hmm. you know, are you going to be done soon? Like you're really going over yeah. budget and going, we go to David and he go, well, you know, it takes... We, we take a month to do a single here. We're going, oh my God. Oh, so we were there for, you know, months. But yeah. in the meantime, we fell in love with the city of Bath. Okay. And then when we did uh, Modern Lullaby, we moved back to Bath and, and basically did that album in our bedroom there. Hmm. So we did, you know, we had, had a strong connection with that city over the time we were recording the world is a ball with david lord and then ended up living in bath for two and a half years after that okay. um just because we liked it so much uh but that yeah the world is a ball um i think the most different sounding album certainly from a production point of view yeah, I mean, I, I love it. It still stands up. It's, I, I, it's, it's a great album. It's a different. Like, you don't want to have, you know, metric music. You don't have the same album, you know, which is you, you didn't. You have different. No, we you know, don't music. anyway. Yeah. Exactly. In the record, yeah. obviously, record companies don't want to have the same thing. But I mean, I think fans want to hear bands and artists evolve and put out something. I think so yeah, yeah, and I think certainly certain artists and certain bands have a certain kind of listener that you know gets used to the fact that you you may be throwing different things out with yeah. every album and they're okay with that you right. know yeah i just want to jump ahead a little bit to uh delicate which i, I absolutely love that um great album um is that your daughter on the cover it is yeah okay all right and 
there were that was that was Eve, and um, she was at that age where you know they're kind of like a bit narcissistic, and she took this photo of herself, and it was a color photo, and I, you know we were looking around for a cover. And I thought, yeah, there's something about that age that is delicate. And there's something about the, the way she's, the flash has gone off above her head. And so I made it black and white mm. and instantly got way darker. <laughs> um, and so I think there was some comment online about like, who's that heroin addict on the cover? You know? <laughs> because she looks like skinnier than she, like she looks right. like too skinny, which she wasn't ever, but somehow the black and white and the harder. Yeah contrast but I liked and you know when you're creating things you're not going well this is my daughter I can't do that like you're, you're thinking yeah. as an artist you're going this right. is a really strong image and you know I just love the way the flash was blowing mm -hmm. up into this white aura above her head and mm -hmm. almost like kind of showering down and mm -hmm. so Martha and I copied that look for the inside of the sleeve mm -hmm. as well and it, it seemed to be kind of an appropriate image for that album right did uh did she like the the cover of it? Um, it's hard to tell. I don't know. Did well, she? She went on to be to, to take for photography at at Ontario College of Art and Design. Okay. She was she, she was interested in photography definitely. So yeah, we'd have to ask her. I should ask, next time we talk to her, we say, "Did you like that?" I don't remember going. I hate it, and I don't right. remember going. I love it. You know. Yeah. She was <laughs> own life. Yeah, she was. Right. You know. Preteen, I think, at that point. So she was in her own world, but um, I, I don't think it, she minded. And she ended up actually, um, when we released the 30th anniversary of Echo Beach, we used one of her mm -hmm. photos on that. And, and she took the photo of me for my solo album. Yeah, she took okay. the solo, solo. So she actually, she's quite a good photographer, right. actually, in her own way. Yeah. And that helps you guys, so you don't have to pay for a photographer. You got one of the family. Yeah, no, she's done a bunch of photos, yeah. And, right. you know, it cuts down on the expenses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm intrigued by the song Crosswalk on that album. Oh, boy. Okay, you're a deep listener. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the songs you're getting into, I don't think anyone's um, asked about that song. Her the finger for getting in his way. All she wants to do is 
Again, it's sort of as you, you know, I'm sure you have picked up, it's another feminist oriented song. But it also, for years and years, and not so much now, I had a a real, you know, not a paranoia, but a real aversion to crosswalks. I never liked, I thought it was way safer to jaywalk (laughs) because when you're in a crosswalk, you're asking cars to stop for you. Right. you know, and nowadays they're so distracted and they're looking at their screen to their cell phone. They don't, you're yeah. in a crosswalk, the lights are flashing. They right. don't see you and it's a bang, right? Yeah. So a lot of my uh, fears about that, and I, I, again, I wasn't so afraid that I wouldn't use them, but if I had a choice, I would go like a block yeah. up and, and cross. <laughs> right. But I think that weird aversion to them fed into the song as well. Okay. And I imagined like this, you know, this huge truck that just like mm-hmm. had to stop because yeah. the woman's in the crosswalk. Like they wouldn't stop, and they don't. The driver doesn't like women very much anyway, and he and he's getting more and more mad. And I imagined him as a giant penis because somehow it's sort of like all the toxic masculinity went into this giant like hard on this right. driving <laughs> truck, right? And I have to tell you that at the time when I was singing and I thought, am I going too far with this? Like, is this just too far? But again, you know, like as an artist, you just got to go with it. Right. You know, and, and you're doing that song going, okay, nobody's ever going to play this on the radio. Probably no, people will skip over it, except you, Noel. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there's, there's got to be other people like you. I'm but, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And I hope so, you know. Yeah. But, but, um, I just wanted to make that song like the toxicity of the subject matter. You know, I wanted to make it toxic musically too. So the colors and the approach are toxic, right. you know, it's yeah. a toxic song. Right. No, I, I mean, I love that album. I'm glad, uh, you know, you guys came back to the studio after all that time, you know, together for that album. It was but, a uh, bit of a there, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Martha, what was like the idea for the children's album? Well, I, we, I got pregnant. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was interested in, in what music was, was available for children. And when I looked, looked into it, I thought, I, I thought there was a, um, a need for some music that was, was not talking down to kids 
was, you mm. know, you know, sounded like our music only with right. a different subject matter. So I started, I just started writing, a, a, you know, I wrote the lyrics and music and uh, Mark produced it. And um, it was just so, came came so naturally, came so, mm -hmm. so easily. It was the easiest bunch of songs I've ever written. And they're funny, you know, a lot of them. And it was a, it was a real joy to make. And then then I, I would I went out um, and played in schools and community centers and libraries. And that was fun as well. Were you, were you surprised like the, you guys wanted Juno for that? I was surprised, yeah, because yeah. it was the first children's album I've done and all these right. other no, nominees had done lots of of uh of um, records already and really good performers too we were yeah. up against some really good people and it was shocking because we basically did that you know at the time we were renting a house and we had the top floor which was our little studio the whole thing was done you know literally in this little room at the top of a house and we had such a great time making that record. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you know, there, there's some, there's like a song called "Shooting Stars" and the rhythm track. We went to a friend's parents' farm and drummed on the dock in the middle of the night. You can hear crickets and the the mallet drumming, and you know, like in a way, we we kind of went back to our childhood, uh, childhood and mm -hmm. and also back to sort of art school approaches to making song so it you know like being a kid again it was like being a kid again and you know instead of using a drummer we went and banged on a dock in the night you know and, right and there was all there were all sorts of moments like that on that record so funny voices and stuff. yeah and doing funny voices and then nice songs like beautiful songs like beautiful trees like that, that came out very well yeah yeah it was really and martha's got a whole bunch of other songs that she never did for a proposed second album and some of those songs are killer too and you kind of forget about them and then once in a while we come across them playing go oh man we really should put that out well, i was know? thinking of reissuing that um songs from the treehouse and adding a few new right. songs to it. oh you should definitely yeah. yeah well we have a granddaughter now too so oh, there's okay. a reason yeah there's perfect a yeah uh, absolutely now we get to morphology that came out in november i believe um it's great i mean it's um a lot of uh I guess re reissues, so to speak, or like you know, um, resurrections one that you guys had on your greatest hits, which was really good, and then the um, updated version, or I guess it's just updated a new version of Echo Beach, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different approach. Yeah. Go be 
Either love that or we really dislike it because <laughs> we, 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 we ruined we, it. Yeah, we ruined <laughs> it. <laughs> no, it's a different but take. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah there's a, again, there's, there was a, you know, for because that song, you know, for some people is like this sort of holy grail and right that camp where you can't touch it, you know. Yeah. And, and, and we did get comments on our YouTube channel like, God, could they play it any slower, you know, like, or, or stuff like that. But I think the majority of people really liked it because it's the, you know, it's the distance of several decades looking back on those feelings you had when you were much younger, you were a young adult. Yeah. And now they're, now it's tinged with a certain melancholy, you know, and introspection. And I, I think from a songwriting point of view, that's really cool that you revisit a song mm. and you're not you're not going hey we're going to do it the same you know like mm. you're actually trying to put a new view into it as a person who's a lot older and knows a lot more and has lived something you know lived through things a few of the songs on on the album uh, on mythology deal with the the effect that echo beach had on our our lives mm. like summer of song you know, right looking back at what life was like during that summer of 1980 mm -hmm. and after when we were on tour with the band and, and all this the troubles we had with uh getting along and that we get getting along with the record company and everything and then there's uh, on a silent summer evening where we basically extrapolated parts of the echo beach lyrics and right. then like 
threw them against the wall <laughs> and then reconstituted. Yeah. yeah. But going back to those songs, did any of them like were they difficult to like reissue to to work on? Were they just like okay, this is great as is, we're gonna put it out. No, they were. They're mostly as just as is. Yeah, they're just like we. I think the only thing we added was on um, "Act Like a Woman," where you put, put some extra vocals. vocals onto that, which was a demo. I, yeah, because like I don't, I don't sing the lead in that. Yeah, that's right. Hill singing the Hill lead. Hill Hill um, but the other ones were, you know, either as they were released or the things that were like unfinished songs, they they hadn't been added to. They were just, you know, we mastered them some, and some, yeah. some were demos, some were unfinished songs, you know. Um, and I think we have to thank our manager, Graham Stairs, because he for years he'd been saying, you know, you really ought to put an odds and sods. Yeah album out and we you know we'd go over these things and go yeah this is really good your vocal was great on this or right. and i'm really glad i we have to thank him again because i'm really glad he did this because at least it's out into the world now you know like people can hear it and they can make their own judgments about it you know like oh they put this out it was in a basement somewhere but you know I, I think the the choice of songs is really good like i'm really i really like all of them and I hope everybody yeah. finds something that they can, you know, enjoy on that album. Right. I mean, I know speaking as a fan, I mean, I'm very happy you guys released it. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm sure the majority of fans, if not all of them are happy, you did as well. So, And, you know, there might be some surprising things on there too. Like a number of those things were demos that we did in Bath. Okay. When we were living there that, you know, when we were working on Modern Lullaby, we did a lot of things that didn't get on that album, including... Um, that other version of uh, fighting the monster, which I really like, the mm -hmm. one on Marthology, I like as much as I like the one on Modern Lullaby. Right. Um, they're very different. But right, yeah, where were you the first uh, the first time you guys heard uh, Echo Beach on the radio? Mm. It might have been CFNY in Toronto. Yeah, maybe I'm not sure. Or Chum FM, maybe. Oh, sure. that's lost into the mists of the past. <laughs> well, I remember getting um, phone calls from uh, Bindisk every week telling us what number it was in the charts. It kept going up and up and up yeah. and up. That was pretty exciting. Right. What about like the most interesting place? Like you mentioned you heard Black Stations, White Stations yesterday on the radio, but like Echo Beach, you know, the elevator somewhere, shop, a grocery store. Oh, interesting. I don't I don't know. It's more, it's, you know, those are places that you would tend to hear music anyway, but I think yeah. it's almost more um, interesting when fans tell you where they heard it. And I remember we heard from somebody who was on the Nile River hearing Echo right. Beach, you know, oh, wow. and, 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 you know, th places like that where it popped up. And um, I remember being at a gym when I was doing it, I was on the treadmill. And they had music come, coming through the speakers and then they played black stations, white stations. Huh. Not, I remember thinking, I, I wanted to say to everybody, hey, that's me. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's me. Right. That's great. You guys working on anything else these days? Oh, yes. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, you know, one of the things that we feel very, very fortunate uh, about for us is that you know COVID has been a horrible, horrible time for so many people, and 
you know, job disruptions and people losing income and, you know, the frontline workers like in a state of exhaustion, but we're, we, not much has changed for us in terms that we work at home. We have a home studio, you know, we go out and buy groceries and then come back and do work. So the, the last two years we've, we've got a lot of work done and, um, Martha and I, and Martha in particular, started working with younger songwriters uh, several years ago. And one idea we had, which we call Dazzlefield, which is sort of another band or artistic entity, is working with young female songwriters uh, about breakup songs. Okay. And we're writing new songs with them. So we're writing new songs with them. We have three, it's a very slow moving. Um, mm project but we hope at some point to be able to have like five to eight songs that we can release as an EP or an album and each song is a different singer and a different co-write and the three songs we've got so far I think are fantastic like they're all very different right each singer is great in their own way um so it's like uh it's got a theme to this album but it's like looking from different perspectives of all these different female writers yeah. and another project is one that our, our manager thought of doing, doing a cover album with all of these artists okay so we're so we did a recording we just finished recording um um for for what it's worth by, by buffalo, buffalo springfield, springfield. Mm, okay our version and another song by the beat um what's it called called save it for save later. it for later, save for later. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but um, we're also working on new Martha and the Muffins songs because we want to put a new Mar Martha and the Muffins okay. album out in 2022. Well, this is the other thing. Martha's been working for years on new songs and she'll, she'll bring this thing down. I go, wow, that's great. Um, and she's got about, I don't know how many songs like that now. And we're going, yeah, I guess we should be putting out another Martha and the Muffins yeah. album. And I guess I better think about adding some stuff to this. <laughs> so that's where we are with that. And then also... Um, I've been working on an instrumental album intensely for the last year and, um, called garden music. Okay. And it's basically an instrumental album based on, uh, common plant names. So the first thing I did was like make a list of weird plant names right. and went, what would, what would a instrumental sound like with like this, like Kiss love lies, bleeding or kiss me quick or sweet rocket or right. you know deadly nightshade like yeah. what those things so i'm in the middle of um, mixing some of those so i think what's going to happen is that maybe in 22 23 all of a sudden there's going to be all this stuff coming out oh, go, wow they've been asleep for like five years right. now they're you know they've yeah. been, now we've they're been, churning been busy. yeah so we've been busy Oh, that's great. I um, look forward to, you know, listening to all that stuff. I'm sure all the fans do. There'll be a well. lot to listen to. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I'll, I'll block off a couple of weeks. And <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. But guys, I really appreciate your time today. This was fantastic. It was fun. Yeah, we had a great talk with you, Noel. Um, so thank you. Thanks for being a fan. And a special thanks to Mark and Martha for joining me today. Check out their website, MarthaAndTheMuffins.com. If you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at TheFirstNoel19, or like the page will be my youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. 
don't have iTunes, not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, basically wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.